till all the people get in because I don't give 10 minute introductions or 15 introductions when I start to preach it's right to the point this episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil starring Elizabeth Moss FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. The book of Second uh, Peter, chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. I uh, flew over from uh, London yesterday, and uh, I'm uh, sitting here, and though these uh, airplanes today, I'm, I'm in business class, I get upgraded, I fly so much, and so I'm uh, watching the guy to my left, he's got the screen, you know, this big, Here's one over here, they've got it, and so I never watch this stuff, it's garbage, and so, but anyhow, I can't, uh, I can't avoid looking at it. So this guy over here is, uh, I mean, there's rockets going off, there's explosions of every kind, 500 people, you know, and pyrotechnics of everywhere. This guy over here, there's, uh, it's magic of some kind, he's transitioning, he's this, and then he changes into this, uh, I don't know what all, all, all about. But uh, Steven Spielberg has become legendary for his ability to entertain people with his pyrotechnics. And that's what we're watching, is this, uh, this uh, entertainment uh, uh, that's going on there, capturing the attention of the people that are there. So what's happened to is it's influenced this generation to many of our generation live in a fantasy world. They've watched television or movie all of their lives, and so this is fantasy. Uh, you talk about fantastic thing that got, uh, well, you know, we, we saw Steven Spielberg, and, he, it, and so but I want to tell you something. There's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that is so powerful and so gracious that the Holy Spirit can lay hold of the minds of this generation. But it'll only be done if you preach the Word of God. This is a storytelling generation. They want to captivate people with fantastic stories of some kind, and that may be entertaining and may even be interesting. But the Holy Spirit only anoints what's in this book. All the preachers, I want you to hear what I'm saying and take to heart because Peter writes here, and as he writes, he says, we've got something that's greater than anything that man can produce. And he writes about it here in Second Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 16. Follow with me. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is 
my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have uh, the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as the light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now here in this text is a tremendous statement that has profound revelation and meaning for you and I who entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to preach to you about Spielbergism and the Bible. I want you to note here in this text because there's a trend that uh, the generous we live in uh, to fiction. And uh, the Bible refers to pagan mysteries, and we're going to, we're going to begin to expose that. When Paul wrote the Bible, it was very common for them to do the, uh, in the theaters, plays which are called the illusion mysteries. These were mystery plays. And uh, there was elaborate costumes. Uh, there were masks uh, that they wore that deflected the voice uh, of the actors that were there. And uh, the, uh, the costumes and all the... There. This is how they entertained themselves was with the illusion of mysteries. It's play acting. This is where the word hypocrisy comes from. It is play acting because they wore these masks uh, and they deflected the voice. Uh, and this is where the word hypocrisy, hypocrites, uh, is where that comes from. These were common in Bible days. Uh, and you'll find that the Apostle Paul uses that understanding for them to make known to us the contrast with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the times of the writing of the scriptures, the Jewish Talmud has writings by the rabbis, and it's filled with silly legends that are there. And Paul refers to that, and our text refers to it. So here's a crucial issue because the gospel of Jesus Christ is supernatural. Are you listening to me? The gospel of Jesus Christ has with it a spiritual dimension. It is supernatural. That's why Jesus said to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood didn't re reveal this to you. You didn't get this with, with some kind of knowledge that had come. The reason that you have this, uh, when he confessed you're the Christ, the son of the living God, you have received a revelation from God. It's supernatural. Didn't come by natural means. Somebody didn't sit with you and convince you that this is so. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says it without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached among the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world, and he was received up into glory. Here lies a, a profound truth greater than anything that Steven Spielberg could produce or anybody else that's ever lived. Can you say amen? It's a story 
of the glorious, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, the incarnation and all the mystery that is involved in that. And this is what uh, that, that Peter is writing about today. Now, Roman Catholicism uh, is based largely on silly legend and, uh, and uh, this whole thing. They, they have a whole body of unlikely legends uh, and uh, and, and practices that they, they, they perform. And uh, uh, this is good to compare that. They have what's called the Arian Legenda and the Josephine uh, Legend of St. Patrick and uh, Mystery Babylon. This is all embraced in Roman Catholicism and the, uh, the things that are there. I was in the Philippine Islands some years ago, and as I was there, they were advertising. I, I, I believe it was in Iloili City in the Philippines. They were advertising the Shroud of Turin. And so the Shroud of Turin is supposedly the, uh, the authentic shroud that the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, wrapped in uh, after the crucifixion. That's the, that's the, this is the uh, Shroud of Turin. And so they had it on display there. And so uh, that was interesting to me. I didn't go to see it because I didn't believe it. But anyhow, uh, it was on display. The problem with that, there's 43 supposedly authentic shrouds of Turin. Now, uh, some, something's wrong with that picture. Can you say amen? But this is, uh, uh, this is uh, demonstrating this business uh, of fantasy. And it's even grasped the religious world and so if you uh, were a good Catholic, which I'm assuming that about 80% uh, of you were when you're sitting here, because uh, the wonderful thing of the gospel is when they hear the gospel of Christ and the power of it, uh, uh, then this stuff uh, doesn't impress them anymore. But transubstantiation, transubstantiation is, is one of the, uh, the mysteries of Roman Catholicism. This is the, this is the host, they, uh, uh, the priest uh, places the bread in a uh, monstrance and magically the the uh, bread and 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 the juiced uh, wine turns into the actual blood and actual body of Jesus Christ well that's not true that's not what the gospel says can you say amen but this is the this is the fantasy is there and uh, many people go to mass uh, and they protect that they've got scapulars I preach in the Philippines and in Mexico a lot and they've got uh, scapulars that uh, they're very heavy in the, in the Philippines, uh, and they've got their rosaries and they've uh, got all that. In Iloilo City, the whole side of a building is painted, and as uh, it's painted in a in a large uh, picture of Mary, and she's got her hands stretched out, and these walls are painted there in large letter says through the Eucharist and Mary, I will save the world. Well, you won't. I can tell you that. You'll damn the world because it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here is the apostle Peter, and he's writing, and as he writes, he writes about fables. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we declared to you the power and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting, the word that he uses there is the word muthos, which is mythology or fiction. Second Peter 1.16, let's look at it again for a moment. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables or muthos or fiction when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So I could add to that statues that weep, the stigmata, people who magically begin to bleed in parts of their body, holy tortillas, and you know, we could, we could go on and on and on. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not cunningly devised fables. There's nothing that man can produce that can compare with what I just read to you in the scripture of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and the incarnation that we read about. Nothing can compare and no fiction that man writes because there's a modern tendency today to have Christian fiction. Now, if I make you mad, you just stay in your seat till I get through. We'll all get out of this before we get through. I take World Magazine. It's a very interesting uh, overview of, uh, of much of the world we live in. And in a recent issue, there were four new Christian fiction publications that were released uh, uh, and books there. So this has become very popular in the generation that we live in is Christian fiction. It's encouraged uh, uh, a great deal. I remember years ago, uh, they were raving about uh, this book as uh, uh, Frank Peretti's book, uh, 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 This Present Darkness. And so I said, oh, well, I gotta read that. I gotta see what that is. Sometimes I read books that, uh, that I know that people are reading. I wanna, know, I wanna know where the people are coming from. So I started reading this book, This Present Darkness, and I got about, a third of the way through, and I said, uh, listen, I don't need to read fiction. I live fiction when I pastor people. I want to tell you that. <laughs> I've never picked it up again, and there's something that does not ring true about that, and I want to emphasize that to you this morning uh, because there's a revived interest today about fiction and there's a revived interest today about prophecy because of the world events that's happening. Joel Rosenberg wrote a tremendous book, The Last Jihad, and he wrote that book before the World Trade Centers were destroyed by terrorists. And it was so close to what actually happened that they called him in. They want to know how he knew all of this. He didn't know any of this. It's just fiction. He was just, uh, he was just uh, 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 talking about what could be because of the world events that he saw. And he's uh, written a latest book, I understand, which is Damascus Countdown. And that came uh, in a very, very uh, 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 strategic time with all the upsets that's going on in, in, in Syria. And uh, this is a, an interesting example but this has become very, very popular today as Christian fiction. Part of it was the uh, success of that. Many times, uh, uh, churches have used the, last, uh, the Left Behind series. How many of you have ever seen any of the Left Behind series? Uh, let's see it. I'm not going to give an altar call. I'm just asking you. Well, we showed some of those some years ago, and after the third one, I said, I don't want any more of those films shown because it's Christian cops and robbers. It's entertainment. It's filled with error, 
and it's filled with, uh, with things that are not true, nor can be biblically substantiated. And I gave uh, orders, uh, uh, I, don't want you, I don't want to show any more of those, that series of film because what has, has happened, I think they, they finally showed 10 of them, uh, but I said, I'm not interested in Christian cops and robbers. I'm interested in the gospel, and if we're gonna have a film, I want it actually based on what the Bible says uh, and not what somebody's imagination is. This is entertainment because this is a generation that has developed an appetite uh, for entertainment. As a matter of fact, much of their preaching, if they're going to preach, you have to be an entertainer, and you have to make people entertain, make them feel good. Well, I want to tell you, my preaching makes people feel bad. <laughs> so what we have here is a departure from the biblical story. I had somebody come, I don't know, three or four or five years ago said, Pastor, have you read The Shack? I said, no, what's The Shack? Well, they were giving it, well, and, uh, and so I'm reading now in the commentary, I say, well, The Shack has some redeeming value. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's a lie. It's a fantasy. It's nothing but entertainment. Uh, and uh, we're flooded in our generation with fiction. You've got... Uh, become popular again, the book of Enoch, uh, the last gospel of Peter, and uh, the latest one came out that uh, Mary is Jesus' wife, and so uh, that's garbage. Can you say amen? When you read garbage, that's what you have inside is garbage. And so here are some flagrant examples of the contrast. Somebody gave me a book uh, some time ago. I, how many of you ever... Uh, shown the prosperity uh, series by uh, John Bevere. You ever, anybody ever shown that? You all just gripping your feet. Where am I? <laughs> Somebody gave me a book by John Bevere and they said, you ought to read this book. This is a tremendous book. And so uh, I started to read it and it dawns on me that this is a man, he's writing parables. And as he, uh, I got about... Uh, five or six chapters in when I, it dawns on me, this is, this is not true. This man's creating uh, fictional people and fictional events, uh, and as he's writing that, uh, it dawns me. I thought it's going to be a book that's actually going to be something about, but the entire book is parables uh, that this man, man had written, and these parables are fictional people and fictional events, and he's trying to convey truth by these. I'm sorry. Nothing ever created will compare with the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ that's in this book. No one will ever even touch the profound truth and the dimension that is there, and it doesn't compare with any of Jesus' parables. You, you can read the Chronicles of Narnia. You can read the Screwtape Letters. You can read this Pilgrim Progress. Nothing compares with this glorious truth that's in the Word of God. And remember, Pastor, God commissioned us to preach the Bible. Paul says to Timothy, preach the Word. When you preach the Word, the Holy Spirit gets involved and begins to grip the human heart, and you won't go wrong when you preach the Word of God. When I was going to Bible school, and I don't recommend Bible school, 
When I was going to Bible school, there was an old Methodist, retired Methodist preacher who lived next door, and he used to be out walking, getting his exercise. He would have probably been uh, 90 years old. And he would see me ever so often as I'm, and he said, young man, preach Jesus. And I said, yeah, okay, yeah. And so he'd say it again. He'd see me, young man, preach Jesus. I said, yeah, okay. And I kind of wondered about it. Who does he think I'm going to be preaching? Well, everything's preached today but Jesus. We're getting ready to do a tour of Turkey and uh, Israel. And uh, a part of that, we uh, get people to testify about how Jesus Christ has changed their lives. And I say, uh, so-and-so, would you come tell us how Jesus Christ has changed your life? And the last tour, I was stunned by how many people gave up and said, uh, God did this, God did that, God this, this, and I call them the Godders. <laughs> because the view that the world has of God may be Allah, you know, they're calling him God. Catholics are in Malaysia, they legally won a case that they call God Allah. Well, you lost your mind. Can you say amen? The Bible says that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And that's what we have in the scripture. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and full of truth. And I'm careful now to tell the people, we want to know what Jesus Christ did for you because Jews believe in God. Muslims believe in God. You can give the array of all the religions of the world, all of them believe in God, but which God are you talking about? The Bible says that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, who is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and God has given him a name which is above every name that is named, both in heaven above and in the earth beneath. Can you say amen? Every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the commission that we have. And it's only the word of God that has the power to transform people and cause them to come into a relationship with God. And the danger that we have is that symbolic and spiritualization has laid hold of the church world. I read another book that somebody gave me. And uh, they're using these illustrations. It says when, when Jesus uh, left Bethpage uh, and he went down to where two ways met, uh, why, what this was, this is symbolic uh, of leaving the old and embracing the new. No, it doesn't. It just says he went down and there was two ways met. That's what it means. When Jesus went in and he released the doves and let them go, what that was, this was showing that now there's a new era. Now the Holy Spirit is... Re no, it doesn't. It just means he went into the temple and released the doves. That's what it means. <laughs> you can prove anything if you take the Bible and spiritualize it. I was reading uh, Reader's Digest illustration years ago, and uh, what it was was a... Uh, a bootlegger in Kentucky and uh, so he was uh, making corn whiskey and uh, selling it and so uh, he is supposed to be a Christian somebody challenged him said what are you doing selling a uh, corn whiskey and, and don't you you're supposed to be a Christian he said eh, the Bible says 
Cursed be him that withholds corn. That's it. You can, produce, you can prove anything by the Bible. The Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. And when you begin to wander a field, then you're on very dangerous ground because the Holy Spirit causes a miracle of grace in the heart and soul of human beings when the Word of God is preached. And this is why Paul or Peter writes, we have not followed cunningly devised fable when we declared to you the power and the glory of our Lord Jesus God, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So let's look for a moment uh, as we bring this down about the glorious truth that we have here. The Bible is a revelation. Study what that word really means. All scripture is given by revelation from God. In the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and verse 17, Jesus answered and said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Borjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, I'm talking about something that you don't get by brains. You don't get by slick personality. You don't get by any other means but by the Spirit of God laying hold of you and revealing to you who Jesus Christ is and the glory of his purpose and ministry for us in the Bible. Remember, the Bible is anointed by God. Today they're shoving aside the, uh, uh, the Son of God. Missionaries who are trying to reach uh, uh, Muslims are changing the Bible and uh, they don't want to emphasize the Son of God because when you talk to a Muslim about the Son of God, immediately their carnal mind tries to interpret that and they start uh, uh, foaming at the mouth, say, you mean God had sex with Mary? No. No, this is the incarnation. This is the glorious mystery that I read to you in the scripture and read about this glorious and tremendous truth uh, and uh, we have it clearly written here and that's a miracle that the Holy Spirit uses uh, about Jesus Christ. Uh, and if you're born again, sitting in this building today, you are fortunate above all the people that are on the face of the earth uh, and don't try to change it uh, to make it uh, easy, because that's what it said. It just clearly declared that uh, in the Gospel of Matthew tells us this is the ful fulfillment of the prophecy given by Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew repeats that because the prophecy was and said that uh, and repeats that revelation. This happened. This is fact. This is not fantasy. And it's a mystery. It's a mystery of the truth of God by revelation of the Holy Spirit. And Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17, and he said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. When Jesus spoke the parables, he said to the disciple, it's given unto you to see and to believe because there's blindness given to those who do not receive the parable. But you see, when he said those words, he's talking about something 
that is the foundational element of Christianity uh, and God-given supernatural understanding. Uh, and when he said to the, the, the disciple, you understand, as I explain these to you, you understand, the, but to these people, it's not given them to understand, uh, but blindness, and this has to do with a spiritual transaction uh, that has to do with the will of God and the will of man that surrendered and saying, God, show me your revelation. And Paul prayed, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation may come to you in the knowledge of God. Now let's come back to the text for a moment because here's a historical fact. This historical fact is eyewitness accounts of men who had an encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the text, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. Now think about this for a moment. Let's catch this scene. You read the Bible, you can, you can read it for yourself. Peter, James, and John go up into the Mount of Transfiguration, and the Bible says uh, while they're standing there, suddenly Jesus is transformed before them. He'd said to them, some of you are not going to die until you see the kingdom of God come in power. This follows in context. He's transfigured before them. His garments became glistening white as snow. There's a glory that surrounds him. And Moses and Elijah are partakers of this wonderful dimension. And as they see that, they are stunned. This is greater than any Spielbergism you can see. They are stunned as they see this. And they write about it. All of them write about it. And as they write about that, Peter said, hey, Lord, let's make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And a voice came, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You hear him. Think about this scene for a moment because that has tremendous meaning for you and I sitting in this building as we're reading these words uh, written by the Holy Spirit uh, and we're reading the personal testimony of someone who experienced uh, this wonderful glory of the revelation that came from God the Father and the confirmation because God's voice was audible and he says, this is my beloved son, hear him. John writes about this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Listen, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we've seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. So here now is the glorious truth that we have. This glorious truth is those who experienced it. They write this experience and put it down, not only the fact, but they write the glorious 
and wonderful dimension uh, which the Holy Spirit uh, will trigger in hearts and lives uh, that will simply turn in faith uh, and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. A transformation will happen. When the, the missionaries who are to Muslims are trying to adapt and they're trying to change the word so the Muslim will accept it, one of the translations, and I can't, uh, I, I can't remember how many times it says, I think it's uh, seven times, says specifically, Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. Now, I don't care what Larry Heck says, there's many begotten sons of God. Uh, the Bible says there's only one, only begotten sons of God. Can you say amen? It says it. And says over and over and over again that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, when we read that, uh, here are the Muslims now. They want to change that. One of the translations is uh, Jesus Christ came out from God. No, that's not the same. You know, you came out from a restaurant maybe last night. <laughs> that's not the same wording. The wording is uh, that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, born of the Holy Spirit, fulfilled 700 years of prophecy from Isaiah that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's specific. That's what the Bible said. And this is the wonderful truth uh, that unless you believe that, I don't care how, what you call yourself, I don't care what you do, you're not born again. That's the testimony of God from the Holy Scripture. So let's ponder for a moment uh, as we're looking into this because God's written word is objective truth. There's two kinds of truth, and one is objective and one is subjective. Objective truth means it comes from outside of human beings. It comes from outside and penetrates. That's objective truth. And what we have written in the Bible is objective truth. It did not come from man. Man didn't figure this out and say, oh, let's see, you know, I think I'm going to write this wonderful story. Wouldn't this be a great drama? And No, 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 no. No, this is objective truth. Objective truth is God bringing truth outside of man and penetrating man's heart. Subjective truth means this is from within. And this is what uh, 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 Joseph Smith wrote. That's subjective truth. Any Mormons here today? Any? Yeah. Okay. That's subjective. That means that this came from inside. This is what man figures out. He's going to write some kind of parable. That's subjective. But subjective truth is... Uh, is open to man's interpretation. Can you say amen? And uh, man's interpretation will not bring a miracle in, in, in human hearts. Man's interpretation, that's why we have to preach the Word of God. The Word of God has power. Every Word of God, the Bible says, has power. That's uh, supernatural power. That's life-changing power. That's transforming power, and we have to very, be very, very careful. Second Peter 1, 19. And we have the prophetic word made firmer still, he said, 
You will do well to pay close attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dismal, squalid, and dark place until the day breaks through the gloom and the morning star rises or comes into being in your heart. Isn't it interesting the dramatic language that the prophet writes, the morning star? Uh, here's something that Steven Spielberg can't compare with. This is the glory of the wonderful work of God touching a human heart, bound in sin, filled with deception and uncleanness and debauchery, but that light shines inside, and as a result, that life is changed and transformed. And they said in this audience, listening to and worshiping Jesus Christ as Lord of Lords, no more a prostitute, no more a drug dealer, hallelujah, can you say amen, but changed by the power of God. That's a miracle. That miracle comes by objective truth that comes from God. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 21. For no prophecy ever originated because some man willed it to do so. It never came by human impulse, but as men spoke from God who were born along, moved and impelled by the Holy Spirit. Now here's the danger of spiritualizing. We did not follow cunningly devised fables but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Listen to 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Yet first you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is, of, uh, is a matter of any personal or private or special interpretation, but it came from God. The greatest message ever spoken in time or eternity is the message of Jesus Christ. The greatest message ever heard by human ear is the glorious message of a Savior. God so loved the world that he came uh, into the world, gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul adds to this, by which you are saved. Spielbergism the Bible. That's the ch choice that's made in this generation. You either can choose, I'm going, this, the preachers today have said, what is your story? Well, your story, who knows what your story may be? It's whatever inflection that you want to give it. You might be, uh, you might be uh, uh, in a cave up in the Andes, you're smoking pot and uh, you get this uh, wonderful revelation. I've, I see people in, in airports reading this garbage that comes. It's not of any private interpretation. Can you say amen? If, it is, if it's, uh, if it's uh, uh, polluted by man's interpretation and man's ideas, uh, it'll lead you straight to hell. But this glorious gospel, preacher, I challenge you to become a preacher of the word. This is storytelling. They want to tell stories, you know. They're, the whole audience is spellbound telling some kind of story, but no word of Jesus Christ and no word of repentance from sin. That's what the Bible, first words that Jesus spoke, the first words that John Baptist, repent and believe the gospel. Is that what you're preaching, preacher? Or you're preaching some entertaining? I'm going to tell you this story about, you know, this is a wonderful story. We have this, who cares about your wonderful story? What about Jesus Christ? What about the gospel? 
This is a generation that is addicted to entertainment. They want to be entertained. But I want to tell you, they desperately need to be transformed by the power of God, and that only comes as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. No one moving around for the next couple of minutes, and the Holy Spirit deals with hearts in this building today. Maybe as you're sitting here, you're not right with God. Maybe you came this morning. You're backslidden. It's a wonderful opportunity. Jesus Christ has power to wash from sin, to transform, and to deliver. If you're sitting here this morning, or if you're in the overflow, and you're hearing what I'm saying, God cares for you, but he brings to you a direction. And that direction is you must Turn from your sin and believe the gospel. I wonder, before I'm changing this to other thing, maybe you're here this morning, you're not saved, you're backslidden, and God's dealing with you about eternity. There's only two kinds of people in this building this morning. You're either saved or you're lost. And you know, because the scripture says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. I wonder if this morning you want my prayer. Say, Pastor, I don't understand everything you're saying, but I need God. Would you lift your hand? Maybe in the overflow room if you're there. Lift your hand. And by that uplifted hand, say, I need your prayer. I'm not right with God, but I want to get right. Would you lift it up? Hold it where I can see. Hold it up high. I see that hand. How many more? You just slip your hand up and say, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right. Right now, Pastor, this is your opportunity. Anyone else? Quickly. In the overflow room. Lift your hand. Say, that's what I want. Lifted your hand. Look at me while I'm standing right here. You really mean that. Get up out of your seat. Come right quickly. Come right now. Come right now. Come quickly. Maybe this morning you brought someone with you unsaved or backslidden. When we give the invitation, I want you to take them and bring them down and pray a sinner's prayer. This man lifted his hand to a specific invitation. Kneel down and somebody's going to pray with you. They lifted their hand to a specific invitation. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I want them to say that prayer. I want somebody to pray with this man. I want somebody to pray with this lady. Yes. I want somebody to pray with that lady. You need a lady. Know how to pray. She lifted her hand. Okay. Anyone else? Come quickly. Now, as I bring this to conclusion, this seems to be a very simple statement, but it really is not. Our generation is turning quickly from the commission to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church world has gone completely off its mind. They're involved in so many different things that are not God's word. They are not the gospel preaching. And our whole mission and our whole conferences are held to send workers out to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not send our workers out to proselyte people from other churches. We send them out and say, get sinners, sinners. Get people who know they're a sinner. Build your church out of that. And preacher, I'm talking to you this morning about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't follow the fads of this, uh, this world. That's why this scripture was written. It said, we're not following cunningly devised fable because these mystery plays, these illusion mysteries, uh, all of this was laying hold of Gnosticism, uh, had gripped the church. They're involved in uh, many, many things uh, 
besides preaching the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. When you're witnessing, that's what brings conviction. Conviction comes when you present the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves you. Jesus Christ died for you, shed his blood on Calvary's tree, was buried, raised from the dead the third day. If you turn from your sins and believe, God will save you. We're going to stand together. These altars are open. God's convicting you. Come and find a place to pray. Make a commitment. I'm going to preach the word of God. 